podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Hello and welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket and looking back at two fantastic days test cricket. One in Gaul where England rather nervily tried to pursue 70-odd to win and lost three quick wickets but their innings is still intact and there's just a little bit of play left. It's, it's been you know, left tantalisingly poised that match with uh, Simon Mann and the other BBC people having to get up at quarter to four in the morning <laughs> to, to see how that goes but I've been watching the Australia-India test match from the Gabba and that's been also a fascinating day's cricket. In fact it helps Simon doesn't it when the cricket is good because it keeps you if you have got to stay up or get up early it it helps if the cricket's uh, as good as it has been. Yeah you've got something to really look forward to. Two compelling days cricket today at the Gabba and at Gaul. Let's start with Gaul. I mean it was a it was a real grind for England and they sort of got there eventually finally dismissing Angelo Matthews, it was a missed stumping on 58, finally taken by Root off Leach for 71 at slip, 359 all out. And then it was a question, of was there enough time for England to win the match this evening? As it turned out, they had 15 overs to get 74. I suppose if, if it was the last day, well, Sri Lanka wouldn't have bowled their overs very quickly, but if it had been the last day and you knew you had 15 overs left and 74 to win, you'd have gone for it. And it, I suppose it you know, would be quite tricky, but... It was tricky enough as it was, just uh, you know, playing their way to 74. I mean, England will win tomorrow. They, they have to, really, from this position. It seemed absolutely remarkable. No team has uh, uh, chasing this smaller t- total in Test cricket has failed to get it. So it would be a, a remarkable first. But there were some problems along the way. The opener's out early. And then Bairstow running out his captain, Joe Root, out for one. Amazing, isn't it, how the game can turn around. 228 in one innings and then run out for one in the second. <laughs> I know, yeah. Incredible. Uh, it's written in the stars that Angelo Matthews is batting with the tail against England, trying to manhandle or you know marshal the, the, the innings into a sort of safety or a challenging target for England. He just seems to, it's almost perennial that he seems to be the thorn in England's side when England plays Sri Lanka. And he played another very clever innings today. I suppose my heart goes out to Jack Leach, actually, who and and to Don Bess as well. I mean, Don Bess took five wickets in the first innings, pretty luckily. He took three wickets in this innings and looked a lot better. And it's almost like we've said before, actually. Sometimes you can bowl really well and get nothing and bowl badly and get wickets, but it sort of cancels each other out or it, it evens up over time. And Bess certainly had that experience. But let's look at Jack Leach because we had him as our guest, didn't we, in the virtual cricket club. And, you know, he's had a really hard year last year with illness and COVID and not being selected for games. And then obviously the uh, interruption in the county season, meaning he didn't get much cricket for Somerset until right at the end. Got two first class wickets in virtually the whole of the, the year of 2020. And he was looking forward, having come to our virtual cricket club, he was sort of saying, well, it's a, it's, it's a terrible year, 2020. Hopefully, better things around the corner. And that's what he said in our club. And also, he talked about his bowling philosophy and what really switches him on, what really excites him in the art of spin bowling. So let's just hear a little clip from that interview. 
Yeah, it's been, um, yeah, frustrating, I guess. But um, uh, yeah, it's I can't help uh, illness and that kind of thing. So I guess it's um, just really looking forward, I guess, to what's to come and, and hoping that there's some good things around the corner. For me growing up and something that I try and remind myself now is like my favourite dismissal is getting someone out stumped. And like, you know, to do that, you have to get the ball up and down. And, and for me, when I did that in club cricket growing up, I was 15 and playing against these men who would think, oh, I'm going to try and whack you. And, um, you know, they'd run down, hit you for six, and then the next ball you'd toss it up even more and then they'd, they'd miss it. And um, I try and remind myself of that because sometimes you can get a little bit defensive, a little bit uh, like flat, and, and actually you still want to try and like beat them in the, in the air. So, um, yeah, that's something for me to remind myself that actually stump I want to get people out stumped um, as well as like beating the outside edge. So the art of getting a batsman out stumped for a left arm spinner, that's what Jack Leach always seeks uh, ultimately. And of course he achieved it today. And it was a nice thing because it was one of his five wickets, but also it was Joss Butler's first ever stumping for England. Yeah, he got rid of Dilruan Pereira. It took a long time for umpire Lyndon Hannibal to make the decision. It was a strange one, actually, because it was it went past the outside edge of the bat. I think initially they were appealing for a court behind because the umpire shook his head at, at the striker's end, uh, Mr. Palagaruga. And then Butler waited a fraction of a second, then saw the back foot and whipped off the bails and appealed for the stumping. It went upstairs. I don't think it was a huge amount of excitement among the England players, or that perhaps you know, Butler was thought, oh, well, that could well have been out, though, because he, he pushed his foot back in a little bit after the, the bails had come off. And then we looked at the replay, and it was one of those third umpire decisions that possibly could have gone either way, actually. But I couldn't see any of the back foot behind the line. And that was the conclusion of, of Lyndon Hannibal, the third umpire as well. Mickey Arthur was not happy. He was shaking his head again furiously. But it was it was hard to see any bit of his foot behind the line. You could say the, the pitches were just a, a little bit vague. And sometimes those lines, they're, they're not very precise. So you're, you're, you're not looking at precise science, I think, sometimes with, with stumpings. Anyway, that's what the third umpire said. He'd had a look from the side. One, one side and then the other. They had a look at the stump mic. That was, you know, the stump camera, I should say. That was inconclusive. And in the end, it was, he just took his time, took his time, waited and waited and waited. It took an awfully long time to make the decision. And finally, he said, well, I can't see any foot behind the line. I'm going to have to give that out. And uh, Pereira was on his way. Leach had his wicket. And Butler had his first ever stumping. And uh, Leach ending up with five for 122 from a marathon 41.5 overs. And actually, you mentioned, Yoz, about you know, him not having much cricket uh, last year. It, so suddenly, you're, you're in the sort of heat of a test match. You're expected to bowl a side out on a, on a spinning pitch. It's not easy if you haven't had that much bowling, if you haven't had that much cricket. It's already say, oh, yeah, you're an England player, you know, just turn it on. But really not easy at all. I mean, you, you know, when your career, if you hadn't done much bowling and suddenly you're expected to bowl well in, in helpful conditions, uh, you know, it's a bit of a test. Really tough, very tough. And the added to the fact that, of course, the Sri Lankans are excellent players of spin. And also, when the ball turned, it turned so much that it beat everything. Mm. And and you see that happen. You think, well, I must get wickets. Uh, but it, it's not like that. It, it takes time. And they played very well, the Sri Lankans, obviously much more dedicated this innings than they were the first time round. I, I thought Leach really improved as time wore on. And, and actually, by the end, he was bowling really well. 
he must be drawing on the experience of playing at Taunton at the end of the season, where it is very dusty. But you don't very often get a pitch in Test cricket as dusty and and difficult to to bat on as this one has become, where the ball is absolutely spitting like like fat out of a frying pan, jumping and turning wildly as well. I mean, it's tough to bat on, but it is actually quite tough to get wickets on as well. So, you know, huge credit to him. It's funny because... I, I, it reminded me actually looking at the pitch of years gone by when we used to play at places like Ilford. Uh, Essex played a, a game at Ilford every year in Valentine's Park, uh, where you you could see the city in the distance actually. And then there was this great big park and this pretty rough looking pitch. It was Nasser Hussein's old club where we played a, a county game, and that turned absolutely square. You know, it was a real dry. It looked like the texture of Weetabix or something, the pitch, and it really gripped the ball. And that that's why, in a way, I feel sorry for the young spinners in County Creek now because they don't get the experience of bowling on many mm. pitches like that. And so then when they come across one in goal like this, it, it's it's almost a, a complete uh, sort of revelation to them, really. And very well done to, to Jack Leach for keeping his head, keeping control of himself and bowling very consistently and finding a groove and and getting those five wickets and you know in a way getting five wickets over 40 overs of hard toil is probably more satisfying than your Dominic Best getting five for 30 off 12 overs of licorice all sorts. Yeah, d- definitely. I mean, Don Best, he said it, didn't he? I didn't bowl particularly well. And he, he might feel he bowled better in the second innings. He took three for 100 from 33 overs. He's a still work in progress. There's still too much short stuff, I think, in, in general. Uh, England need England spinners need to improve on their, their lengths, really. Uh, of course, Best and Leach do have experience of bowling in helpful conditions. I mean, they you know, grew, grew up bowling in, in Taunton where they, you know, they d- deliberately made the pitch uh, so that it, it spun, and in, in a way, you, you look at that and you think, well, it, is, I know they were, they were docked points, weren't they? But is is there anything wrong with having two or three pitches, two or three grounds in the country where the ball does spin enough so that you know you know that when you're going to play there, that you that it is going to be a trial by spin for the batsman, and also as a spin bowler, you learn your craft, you learn to bowl on on spinning pitches. On perhaps you don't want it too underprepared. But, you know, I think Graham Swan benefited from that, didn't he? Uh, mm. Playing at Northampton, you know, a pitch that spun, it helped him, it helped him develop. No, you're right. It's a fundamental essence of county cricket is variety. And the pitches have become much too uniform. Mm. And there, there's too much policing of, you know, a so-called unfair pitch. No, you want that. You want that variety. And I, I, I applaud Somerset for the pitches they prepare because it keeps the game interesting okay so it might favor their team but that's the whole point of home advantage as long as it's not doctored and you know undate and dangerous or it's going to end in two days or something no I think it's fine if you can create a bit of an environment which will help your local team and it provides a different sort of challenge to to the cricketers great and so well done to Somerset and you know they couldn't I, I I just long for them to win the county championship. Actually, they've tried so hard for so long and got so close and never quite managed it. Uh, obviously, in twenty twenty one will be a, another season like twenty twenty, where it's not the traditional championship sort of uh, format. But you know, hopefully, in the future twenty twenty two, they will win the championship uh, with with the team that they've created. And talking of Somerset, Joss Butler kept absolutely superbly. Lots of people saying 
you know, he's not up to test standard and Bairstow or Folk should be keeping wicket. I thought he kept immaculately today. I think he might have fumbled a couple of balls. He missed one very difficult stumping. But taking those balls were just spitting out of the puffed, the rough and off the dry parts of the pit, taking them almost shoulder high, spinning two feet. Hardly put a glove wrong. I thought he was outstanding. Yeah, and, and that was put in context, I think, when Dick Weller kept later. Of England's 38 for three, nine of those have been buys already. You know, it's, it's not easy with the ball turning and bouncing. Um, absolutely fascinating if England had to chase 150. And you go back to Sri Lanka's first day. I mean, they must be absolutely kicking themselves. To win the toss in Gaul, you, know, you feel is a significant advantage. And they just did not make the most of it. 135 all that. Imagine if they got 250. You know, they, they'd be right in this test match. Now, I know the game, you know, it's ifs and buts, buts and the game can be played in a slightly different way or pans out in a different way. And England actually might have taken a bit more care uh, yesterday morning over their last six wickets. They were rather frittered away. thought we're in a strong position. And, you know, there wasn't quite, they didn't quite have their sort of test match head on yesterday morning. And they turned a, you know, potential 350 advantage into a 280 advantage. I mean, they get, the game would be over by now if they'd actually batted um, with a bit more test match nous uh, yesterday morning because they'd have had a, you know, a much bigger lead. But, you know, going back to Sri Lanka, it, it just shows, doesn't it? You know, how you can fritter away a, a great position, a great opportunity on, on the first day and it, it really comes back to bite. It shows what's possible in test match. And we, we, we were talking about this, actually, weren't we? And you, you rather poo-pooed it. You said, you know, I know England should win this comfortably. But you could see a situation where if Sri Lanka could get some runs on the board, could get ahead significantly. I, when I say significantly, I mean 130, 150 on this pitch. How It could be difficult for England. There was real confusion as well. Um, I, I'd like a good run out. I, I really do. And the, and the, and the Bairstow route one was, I mean, it, it was an intense situation, but there was a sort of sort of comical aspect to it. Bairstow mm. dabbing it into the offside and, and route in the end, he, he sort of put his bat in, but it was actually before the line as well. So he dropped his bat. And I, you know, you can understand yeah. his frustration, annoyance or whatever, but um, there's nothing like a good run out. I no, think and good. actually, often, funnily enough, it, spin played a part in that run out too, because mm. Bairstow stunned the ball, defended the ball, and it, it sort of rolled out as if it was going to go into the offside for an easy single. But then, because there was so much spin on the ball, it spun back towards the fielder, and the fielder was able to gather it really quickly. Whereas, you know, in a normal situation, the ball might have rolled away, and he wouldn't have got close to it in time. But because it spun back towards the fielder, the, the run in the end was suicidal, and Root, yeah, Root was run out. Luckily... Bearstow's still there and also a little bit of a, a hand to, to Dan Lawrence as mm. well who looked very calm for the second time must have never faced this sort of pressure before and calmly stroked it around you know nervously uh, seven not out it, it doesn't sound much but he calmed the nerves he faced 24 balls already and never looked in much trouble on a, a really difficult pitch and you know, he will have learnt so much from that first innings when he batted a long time with Joe Root and even in this little short, rather frenetic run chase in the second innings. 
Has anyone ever been praised on this podcast before for being seven not out overnight? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not, but he did He did play well. Of course, Bairstow nearly ran himself out. I mean, he's, he, as Michael Vaughan's got this phrase, his beans were going. I think Bairstow's beans were going after he, he ran out Ricks. He nearly ran himself out the, the next ball. If the throw had hit the stumps of the non-strikers end, he would have been run out. Imagine that, the next mm. batsman coming in on a, on a hat-trick of run-outs. I don't think I've ever, <laughs> <laughs> I've ever seen something like that before. Anyway, the throw missed the stumps. Bairstow's still there. I mean, as I said earlier, England should win from here. 36 to win. Uh, I mean, if, if Schranker did pick up two early wickets in the morning, then you know it would, could be a nervous time for the for the tail. But it, it just needs a you know in a situation like this, a couple of big blows and it's all over, isn't it? Really, uh, we often mm-hmm. see that in a run chase in a, in a white ball match where you think it's it's going to get tight, but you wouldn't want to be chasing. You know, as you said, wouldn't want to be chasing 120 plus or or 150. It would be a, a huge struggle for England in the fourth innings. But there we go. It's been a, it's been actually a fascinating test match. It's really fluctuated, and you know we we sort of wrote Schranker off a bit and panned them a bit at the start, and they were awful. They were woeful. I think even they would accept that. But they fought back really strongly and showed, especially in their own conditions, what they're capable of. So you've got to get up at uh, three thirty in the morning to see, you know, maybe ten overs of cricket. Unfortunately, but I've got to get up even earlier, having gone to bed in the afternoon, to watch the fourth day of the Gabba Test match, which has much more cricket in it than looked likely at mid-afternoon on the third day when India were 160 for six, Rishabh Pant had just gone, and the deficit was still round about 200. And you thought, well, there's no way India can get anywhere near Australia here. They haven't got much left. They've got three number 11s and a couple of debutants and really couldn't see much happening. And then a fantastic partnership between... The debutant, Washington Sunder, an off-spinner who bats left-handed. And Shardul Tacker, who is a, an opening bowler who swings the ball and really doesn't have great pretensions as a batsman, but actually played some fantastic shots against this marauding Australian pace attack. Cummins was charging in, thundering in as usual. Mitchell Stark was firing them across the right-handers and having catches caught and edges flying through the slips. Uh, Josh Hazelwood was was bowling brilliantly. Nathan Lyon was pretty handy as well. And you just couldn't see either of these two batsmen putting much together. They put on 123 and it it wasn't lucky. It it was actually thoroughbred shots, Uh, especially Washington Sunder, who looks... He played some shots, actually, which reminded me of someone like Surav Ganguly. You know, flourishing the ball, flashing the ball through the offside, not looking at all intimidated by short pitch bowling at the Gabba, which gets up chest high and, you know, rattles your rib cage and absolutely play beautifully straight, lovely timing, like an automatic replacement almost for Ravi Jadeja, who, of course, is injured. Incredibly, this Indian team has only two players in it that started the series. That's Ajinka Rahani and uh, Chiteshwa Pajara. They're the only two players left. It's like last man standing in the Indian squad. So the nine new players or recalled players, and they're still fighting. They got the score up to 336, just a 33-run deficit in the end with some sort of tail wagging, some slightly mad sort of tail end slogging at the end as well. And the game is, is still in the balance. Australia went back into bat towards the end of the day, 21 for none. So the lead is 50-odd. But with two days to go, they've got to make all the running because if they don't win this test match, it's a drawn series and India retain the Border Gavaska trophy. 
That's an amazing stat, that is, that they've only got two players from the start of the series. What it does show, I think, is the, the strength in depth in Indian cricket. And it's something we touched on, didn't we? We asked the question, we did an earlier podcast last year about, you know, can India become the new superpower in cricket? And what, what we meant by that, though, I mean, they are a financial superpower, but they don't dominate the game quite in the way uh, West Indies did in the 1980s and Australia in the 1990s and in, into the 2000s. We posed the question, can India do that? And we had Raul Dravid on our podcast and saying, well, I think we can dominate in white ball cricket. I'm not so sure in test match cricket. But, they, you know, it looks as if uh, there's weather around as well, apparently. It looks as if they've got a great chance of, of, of levelling the series, drawing the series in Australia. They come to England in the summer. And that's the thing for them, isn't it? To crack those away series, to, to be good in Australia, to be good in England. They haven't been good in England uh, on their last two tours. They've been pummeled, actually, although the, the, the matches were a bit tighter last year. The score uh, you know, was against them, but the, the matches were tighter last time they were here. Mm. So, you know, that, that, that's the challenge for them. But, uh, I mean, we've also, as well, the other thing we've talked about is the, the, how the game has opened up in India so that, mu- you know, some of the remote centres, mm. which probably didn't produce players in the past or they didn't get to come and play in the national side, that is all now opened up. Yeah, that's right. You look at their bowling attack in this game. You know, I think they played their opening pair plus the first change. Had played two tests between them, <laughs> and and one of them broke down. Signy broke down during that Australia first innings as well. So another injury. I think they've had sort of ten injuries in the squad over the over the, the tour, and that's that's happening a lot at the moment, isn't it? As, as if players. Who have uh, you know been in isolation and having to work train at, at home or not play cricket regularly for some time because of the pandemic are not quite conditioned to the ardours of, of Test cricket because we've seen quite a lot of injuries. Obviously, we saw the Sri Lankans struggling themselves uh, in South Africa. We've seen various teams you know struggle with injuries. The Australian pace attack are still going; they're still standing, but they look tired, and I'm sure they're carrying one or two injuries. And anyway, I mean, this game, you know, fantastically set up. I didn't give the Indians a price, really, in this last test match. At the Gabba, the traditional uh, sort of cauldron of Australian cricket, where they haven't lost since the 1980s, and they won the toss and put up a decent first-inning score. But the Indians are still fighting. And, yeah, I, they, I could quite see them, uh, you know, holding out for a draw. The Aussies have got to do all the running on the fourth day. They've got to take some risks because there will be interruptions for the weather. And that means taking risks to try and win gives India a possible chance of winning as well. How do you feel England will get on in India? I mean, is is that going to be a, their toughest test at- you think of the Ashes next winter as well, and that's pretty difficult. But I mean, I mean, India starting to look quite a formidable all-round side with, with strength and depth. They can come out, you know, with all the injuries and all the problems they've had, and come out and really match Australia in these last three Test matches. It's, it's actually quite ominous uh, for world cricket, isn't it? Really, for all the other Test-playing nations, they they seem to really have got their act together. They were always that sort of soft underbelly when they when they yeah, travelled, but I, I they think, won in Australia last time and they, you know, they're threatening a draw this time. Yeah, I, I think the only thing I'd say about India is playing England is that possibly both Ashwin and Jadeja will not be playing in the series against England because both of them have got quite significant injuries. Jadeja's going to be out for something like six weeks with a broken thumb and Ashwin's got a bad back. So their front line spinners 
might not be able to play in that series. And they're very important players, those two, because not only do have they taken stacks of wickets, but they can both bat as well. Uh, Washington Sundar is definitely a, a handy replacement. He does bat really well. I'm not entirely convinced about his bowling. So, you know, they'll have to find some other spinners, I think, to the, that, are, that are reliable, that are wicket takers. Obviously, their batting is, is pretty impressive. Uh, Coley will come back into the team. I think it looks like Rohit Sharma will probably open. He's he's looking pretty good at the top of the order. So then it'll be fiddling in those other younger batsmen like Shubman Gill and Mayan Gagawal, and they'll be pretty sure in the in the wings as well. So you know they've got lots of batsmen to choose from, lots of fast bowlers as well. But the spinners, ironically, could be their weak link. So in a way, it might be in the four test series that England play against India, it might be the spinners of either side, none of whom are be all that experienced, who perhaps decide how the series goes. Yeah, well, that's all for the future. I suppose the, the immediate concern is, uh, can England get the 36 they need to win tomorrow? I would say yes, definitely they will. Uh, they might lose a, a wicket or two, but uh, they, they've done enough in this test match to, to be on the verge of victory. Famous last words, you can play this uh, tomorrow if uh, they fall in a heap and lose by two runs or three runs or whatever it is. And, and as for that Gabba test match, the, the weather's going to play a part, isn't it? Uh, mm. yours, the, yeah. There's not a great weather forecast. I think a lot of people looking at the, the radar for the fourth day. And it's one of those games, actually, if there's a significant chunk taken out of the game, it's hard to see a result unless, as you say, someone really gambles. Mm. Oh, please give us a roof for cricket so we can <laughs> we can play when the weather's bad. Of course, I'm not suggesting we should always play it indoors, but someone design a roof for cricket because there's nothing worse than a game beautifully poised, a series on the line, and the rain washes it all out. So let's hope, fingers crossed, that doesn't happen. We'll report back on both of those fascinating matches this time tomorrow. Speak to you then. Bye for now. Sports Social Podcast Network.